I'm coming in. This is Dan Elgin, USA, MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 86, dedicated to a man who was the first overall draft pick in the 1986 NFL Draft, Mr. Bo Jackson. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading to the episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we have Mr. Ryan Roberts, scouting coordinator for NFL Draft Bible, coming on, joining us to talk about the NFL Draft, getting us ready a day earlier here on the podcast. Yes, normally the midweek episode, midweek episode of the podcast, which normally has a guest, drops on Thursday. But with the draft being on Thursday, I wanted to bring in a guest that knows all all about the draft picks to help get us ready for that draft to help us get more acquainted with those prospects. So Mr. Ryan Roberts came on the interview that I did with him was on April the 19th airing today on April the 22nd. April the 23rd, the Thursday, there will still be a, a, a podcast episode this week. I'll be solo on that one. So the guest uh, portion of this week's uh, podcast is a day earlier than normal. Also, big week, uh, big week for the for sports, big week for the podcast, changing up. Also, another big announcement for the podcast, the Jay Stevens Podcast has joined the MTMV Podcast Network, or MTMV stands for My Team, My Voice Podcast Network. Mr. Rick Sincere uh, hosted the MT, he runs MTMV, the podcast network, and he invited me on the network to do a mock draft. And there were, uh, I think, at least 15 different podcasters there. Had a great time and a lot of fun. Uh, we got to pick up, we, had a, we got to make our pick, um, defend our pick, explain our, our pick, things like that. After you made your pick, you would explain why you made your pick. And then the other podcasters were there. They could kind of critique the pick, say if it was a good pick, bad pick, and different kind of question you on your explanation or your reasoning for why you made that pick. And it was a fun time. This past Monday, him and I did an interview um for hit for the network as well lasted about an hour at the end um do some uh discussions and things like that um the invitation for the podcast to go on to that network was uh was offered and ultimately we are now on that network it's a great way for the podcast to grow uh to get to have continued growth uh to get more listeners get more get better guests and just get this thing rolling and just keep this train moving along and it's not going to stop i'm rich sincere i appreciate i appreciate the offer I appreciate him coming on, and I appreciate what he is doing with the podcast network, the MTMV Podcast Network. The Jay Stevens Podcast is continuing to grow. Like I mentioned earlier, the podcast is not going to stop. No live sports. The podcast is, is going to keep on going. One last comment before we get to Mr. Ryan Roberts. I realized on Monday... There is no way for me to properly handle the Last Dance documentary the way that I anticipated it. So from now on, the main topic we're going to be talking about the Monday after the next, uh, the episode, the two next, the two upcoming episodes air on ESPN, um, on that Sunday at 9 p.m. and then 10 p.m., episode three, episode four this coming Sunday. Well, the, the two middle of the two main segments of the podcast, 
It will be all about the documentary. The first one, the main one, will be about episode the, the first episode. Then the second or the third topic will be about the third will be about the other episode. So for someone to have an opening topic and an ending topic that are not regarding or do not have anything to, anything to do with the documentary, but that second topic, the main one of the day, then the third topic will all be about recapping and talking about the last dance documentary, kind of uh, talking about the ninety seven ninety eight Chicago Bulls basketball season yes we all talk about michael jordan we learned more about scotty pippen um during the second episode than we thought there's robin phil jackson ron harper tony kuko trust me there's gonna be a lot of things coming up with this documentary and i am here for gonna change things up because this documentary is literally that big that is enough talking for now about things with the podcast exciting things what's going to happen next is just as exciting let's go ahead and take a trip to Burlington, New Jersey. Not Burlington Coat Factory, guys. We're not buying clothes. They're closed right now. They are currently closed. Burlington, New Jersey. To enjoy my fun conversations, Mr. Ryan Roberts, scouting coordinator for the NFL Draft Bible, gets us ready for the 2020 NFL Draft. Hey, Ryan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jay, appreciate you having me on, man. I hope everything's well on your side of the world. Yes, it it currently is. And before we get into the draft, the reason why I brought you on, I want to definitely ask, how are things going with you and your family during this abnormal time in life? Um, I mean, it's it's definitely very, very uh, confusing, to say the least. I mean, you know, health-wise, everything's good. Me and my wife are good. Family is good. Everything's fine. It's just, you know, obviously with everything being shut down, being quarantined, every, every day just kind of feels like a Tuesday right now. But overall, every, everything's fine, you know, health-wise. It hasn't changed too much on my daily regimen, but, uh, you know, it's definitely a little different to say the least. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. It's one of those things where I'm still working. Uh, you mentioned you're a teacher. Your, your life is, is just odd you, even if your day-to-day um even if your work schedule and work hours are still the same if you're leaving your house going to work and then coming home it's still odd and abnormal and you mentioned that you and your wife are both teachers how has the adjustment to teaching in a different classroom style i, I want to just use that word um, been for you guys uh i mean so it's uh my wife's a fourth grade i'm in third grade so it's very difficult to say the least having kids learn on the fly how to use Google Classroom and Google Forms and, and Google Docs and like all this type of stuff. It, it's it's difficult, obviously. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of like one of those things where with the uncertainty of when everything is going to be, you know, opened back up, when, when we're going to be able to go back to school, if we're going to be able to go back to school. It's one of those things where people are just learning on the fly. It's 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 the same thing. You know, there's uncertainty in the air. And getting third graders, getting nine-year-olds to be able to uh, navigate Google Classroom on a daily basis while their parents <laughs> are still trying to do their uh, do their daily regimens as well is a little difficult. But, you know, it's I feel like we're making the best of it overall. Good to hear. Good to hear. You, you mentioned – so you guys have not canceled school for the rest of the year. I know I live in Indiana, and our governor already canceled – like I think it was like beginning of April. He said – and they had, at that time when he announced the beginning of April, they had already canceled school – all through April and then they're waiting for May. And then he ended up saying um, like a few weeks ago, he said, Oh, we're going to cancel class, cancel school for the rest of the year. So he did that like two months prior to school ending or a month and a half. He's like, Hey, this thing is, is uh, shaking our state to a point, And uh, I think it's best for us to take measures to a whole new level. 
Uh, some, some may say premature, but he canceled it um, like a, a two weeks ago for the rest of the year through the end of May. So it sounds like you guys have not canceled school. Is that correct? So it's, uh, it's kind of going on a month-to-month basis right now. Originally, the whole thing was uh, April 20th, or school was going to be closed until, but then obviously Governor Murphy over here in New Jersey is kind of taking it month by month now. So we just announced the other day that we're at least until um, May 15th of next month is uh, at least it's going to be shut down until. So I guess we're going to get another uh, update near, near close to that date. I, I imagine that it's ultimately going to be it's ultimately going to be, you know, canceled for the rest of the year. But as of right now, we're kind of going on a month-to-month basis. Okay. Okay. Interesting approach to it. I know some people want everything just to be shut down for the rest of the year. Some people want it to take like a month-by-month basis, like like you mentioned, like your governor is. And you, I mean, no matter what, you can't. I mean, you want to be cautious, but you always want to. Um, you don't want to have shut things down. Say, oh, like it's April. We're going to shut things down for the rest of the year. No, no college in the fall. No school in the fall. And then lo and behold, it could be June that everything is cleared up and the virus is not affecting us in a, in, a, in the way that it is currently. Um, so you, I, I get both sides, but it's kind of interesting, like your governor's taking that, that approach. And I can definitely um, respect that. I got a question for you. You, you're, you, you look at these prospects, these NFL prospects um, all the time. Has COVID-19 affected you and how you can analyze the guys that are going to be drafted this upcoming week? I, I mean, so it's, it's only affected, you know, obviously for me personally, the pro day circuit. You know, I, I try to get out to a few pro days a year, and that would at least put maybe some more players on my radar that I haven't taken an official deep dive into, and that's kind of how it works for most NFL teams, really. You know, you, you kind of get a flash of athletic traits during the pro day workouts for guys that you aren't too familiar with, and then maybe they make your radar kind of going towards the end. But, you know, just from a film analysis perspective, it, it hasn't changed much. If anything, it's, it's enhanced my ability to watch more film down the stretch here and get things set up for even 2021. So from my personal perspective, it's just, you know, not, not being able to see some of the pro day workouts, some of the guys testing out, out, out you know, out of the, out of the gym, out of the roof, and then kind of making that you grab some attention towards them. But it's, it's, it hasn't really affected my overall process. I wouldn't say. Okay. Okay. Overall process. Um, let's just get started right into um, the whole draft process or the draft itself. There's a lot of talent that will be drafted uh, towards the latter end of this upcoming week. What has been your overall overview of the draft of uh, the 2020 draft class? It is exceptionally deep it's it is a really really deep class and obviously you're gonna have some positions that are deeper than others but the overall depth of this class in several positions and I I mean people love doing mock drafts they love doing mock draft simulators all that good stuff you are going to see some talent this year especially later rounds even a a lot a ton of undrafted free agents this year that are going to potentially make football teams I feel like the top of this class is is very solid. I, I wouldn't say that there is an overall amount, uh, you know, a crazy amount of quote unquote blue chip prospects. But I think the cl- the top of the class is very solid, and I think that the overall depth of the class is absolutely crazy. You mentioned exceptionally deep in the word to describe this class, this draft class, and I know with uh, me following football my entire life, a lot of the listeners, I'm, I'm sure, of this podcast are, are have been football fans their entire life. People say this this word, the class is deep or this position is deep all the time. What do you think um, 
differentiates this draft class versus others and talking about the depth that this class has? I, I mean, that, that that's a great question. What makes this one different, I think, is that we're seeing a couple uh, positions that are so deep that we're seeing, like everyone talks about this wide receiver group. We see the quality of that class in general. And then we see cornerback. It, it, it's so much different than some classes because I feel like usually there's a little bit of a more well-balanced, like, you know, every class across the board has a solid amount of depth to a degree, but it's just some groups. I, I look at the wide receiver group. I look at the cornerback group. I look at the offensive tackle group. I see such um, a, a ma- a such high volume of draftable players that it's overall just making these numbers out of this world. So, you know, to answer your question, I feel like there's there's not as much balance in some as far as across the board, but there's in, in, in certain position groups this year, there is such a high volume that we're not going to see all these guys drafted. It's just impossible that we're going to see, you know, I, I, I know some, I forget who even said it, that said there's going to be like 26 wide receivers drafted in the first three rounds. That's not going to happen. That The general volume is not going to happen. But what that's going to give us is, again, late round guys at certain positions that you're going to be like, wow, this guy is going to make this team and actually contribute this year. And then undrafted free agency, it's going to affect it in a big way. So overall depth of a few positions in general are what really is buoying this class into being a really deep one. You mentioned a couple positions or position groups that are deep and they have great depth wide receiver group and cornerback group let's go right to the wide receiver group i'm doing this a little bit earlier than expected and my personal notes but you mentioned it some of the wide receivers i'm just going to go off a list that i have here uh cd lamb jerry judy henry ruggs the third justin jefferson uh looks like justin rager i mean i, I could keep going wh- wh- what are some of the big names guys and what so the t- i got three here jerry judy cd lamb henry ruggs the third Talk about those three in whatever order you want, and then what makes each one unique. Yeah, so I, I mean, I feel like that's pretty much the consensus top three in this class. I, I, I haven't seen many people that have a different, you know, top three. The top with Jerry Judy for me personally. Notes on him. He's uh, obviously productive, comes out of a, a very talented Alabama offense over the last couple of years, to Tago Viola. Uh, you have Henry Ruggs III, Devonta Smith went back to school, Jalen Jalen Waddle's still in school, he's going to be a junior next year. It, there's so much talent, yet he was still the most productive, and the reason for that is he's an instant separation guy. Such a, a effortless route runner, the best route runner I've ever seen come out of college, no hyperbole intended, he is exceptional. He's one of those guys that's quarterback friendly because he creates such separation, such early in reps. It's absolutely ridiculous. Number two, I have CD lamb. He's a completely different player. He's kind of in that, that uh, Deandre Hopkins role is a, a lot of people kind of like to compare him to. He's got solid enough length. He is a monster at the catch point. He has incredible body control, not the route runner of, of Jerry Judy, but he's not bad in the area either. It's just he plays a much different game. And then Henry Ruggs is, of course, everyone knows about the speed, the explosiveness. But the thing that takes you off guard with Henry Ruggs is he's not just – because when you think of a, a vertical threat wide receiver, usually you assume they don't they do not do well with physicality. They don't do, do well through the point of contact at the catch point. Henry Ruggs is not that. Henry Ruggs – wins at that catch point. In contested catch situations, he's excellent. So those top three, all different, which is making it such an incredible conversation. I've seen guys with with each one of those as their top-ranked receiver. It really depends on what you're really valuing. 
For me, I value the separation ability of Jerry Judy, the production of Jerry Judy first, CeeDee Lamb production, yak ability, and catch point ability. And then Henry Ruggs is a little bit of the wild card because he wasn't a high-volume target at Alabama. But when you combine that speed with that physicality at the catch point, the ability with those big hands, it is a stellar top three to say the least. Let's go right again with the cornerback position. Um, once again, kind of do the same type three thing. Who is your top three at that position? And then what separates those three? So this is going to be a little controversial because I know uh, CJ Henderson is being mocked in the top 15. He is not a top three cornerback for me. I have a lot of concerns about CJ Henderson, but I'll say obviously number one is Jeffrey Akuda, who is pretty much the consensus, even though, Word is C.J. Henderson might be on some team's big board as the, as the number one corner, but Jeffrey Okuda is my top guy. Everything you want, six foot one, 200-plus pounds, really, really physical, uh, has, a, has some nice eyes in zone coverage, has a great technique in press coverage, which is only improving. Um, and the thing that makes him so, so incredibly appealing is the fact of – He's not like when you see a guy that size, you wouldn't expect incredible quick uh, change of direction ability, um, you know, coming back towards the line of scrimmage, coming laterally. He is an explosive athlete. He moves incredibly well for a cornerback of his size, which really takes you off guard. He's number one to me by, by a large margin, and then there's a huge drop. I have Jeff Gladney sitting at number two out of TCU. Similar in the fact of change of direction is incredible. Physicality. He's not the size, near the size of Jeff Akuda, but he plays a lot bigger than he is. He's incredibly physical. Mirror and match ability is exceptional right at the top of the class. Physical. Like I said, in the run game, he gets after it. He's not afraid. Um, and then I have number three. And so I, a, a quick note here. For my evaluations, I red flag guys, but I don't deduct for injury concerns. So Bryce Hall came into the year from Virginia as pretty much a consensus top-ranked uh, corner in the class going into summer scouting. And people are forgetting how good he was because he had he had a uh, lower body injury during the season. I think it was an ankle, a broken ankle, if I remember correctly. So he hasn't been able to play the latter part of the year, and he hasn't been able to compete in the draft process. But when he's playing, when he's healthy – he is an exceptional football player. I, I would rather him see him in a system similar to maybe the Seattle Seahawks that run a lot of cover three where he's able to use his eye discipline to his best advantage. But ball skills, uh, physicality, competitiveness, Bryce Hall is the real deal. And I feel like if he comes back to full health, he is one of the best corners in this class. Interesting. I'm going to circle back to one thing, Jerry Judy, the one thing Jeff Okuda, since those two are the top at these two positions on your board. Jerry Judy – with him, you mentioned that he's uh, good with separation. Is it his start with off the line he's good with separation, or is it um, being able to separate him using his hands properly um, and not committing uh, not committing fouls? So it's it's a combination of both. His releases are really nice. Um, he has different variation of releases, which will help him a lot. It's not just the same thing every every um, every second, but he's so quick off the line that it's hard to get a nice shot on him. It really is. And then there's different – they do different things with him. They line up in the slot sometimes. They line him up as more of a ZY receiver where he's off the line, where they can motion him and get him some free releases that way. But releases are not a problem at all. And then the thing that really separates him as far as that route running is he – I haven't seen a guy that is able to stop on a dime cut laterally, accelerate out of his breaks to the degree that this guy has. He's one of those guys where you say, like, 
cut on a dime without slowing down. He and usually that's that's obviously a little bit of hyperbole. Usually that's that's almost impossible. For, but for him, he comes to almost a complete stop when he when he cuts. It's absolutely crazy. It leaves guys just getting their their leverage destroyed and he just he just comes uncovered so easily in that in that remark so for me it's everything from from the explosion off the line ability to mix different releases and then his ability in and out of his breaks you made a comment i would i'm going to see if you agree with this i would i would i would guess and hope that the proper coach utilizes jerry judy in the proper way and doesn't stick him on one side of the of the offense or uh, just on the outside, not in the slot. Would you assume or think it's proper that the right offensive coordinator puts Jerry Judy in every opportunity possible for him to be successful in his team? Oh, I'd I'd agree 100%. It's not just – you know, for a guy like C.D. Lamb, I want him at X wide receiver more, more often than not. I want him on the line of scrimmage all the way uh, – split all the way outside to the numbers, like all the time because that's his best attribute. Jerry Judy's best attribute is he can play some X, he can play a whole lot of Z, and he can even play in the slot and he can do a lot of things in there. I want to mix him up everywhere. I want corners – uh, of different sizes matched up against him inside, outside. I want safeties getting matched up against him from time to time. I want him to be a mismatch against linebackers. He's a moving chess piece that you need to take advantage of different looks, different alignments, and different variations of how he can attack you. Exactly. And then also with um, oh Jeff Okuda out of Ohio State, cornerback. Someone recently – I'm not big on player uh, player comparisons. You may not be. You may be. You may not be. But I recently saw someone say that, um, um, Jeff Okuda's player comp is Darrell Revis, and I'm not big on that, but would that be a comparable or proper thing to say about those two players? Oh man, I, I don't, I, it's a tough part of, uh, uh, you know, make, make it, make it comparisons. Like I, I just put out a comparison, um, article a couple days ago. It, it's tough. I mean, so let's start off by saying, it's not a, for me. Comparison is not an indicator of success. It is more comparison on play styles and physical profiles. So if I'm looking at him compared to Revis, I don't really see the comparison too much, just because I feel like they're completely different body types, completely different play styles. If I had to try to compare him to someone, it might be like a Keep Talib kind of guy. He's got a little bit of that longer frame. He's pesky, but he's got you know enough ability to do different things, you know, in, in the change of direction, vertical speed, that kind of thing. So I, I would rather him be compared to a longer corner. But obviously, you know, someone thought very high of him, so they compared him to Revis Island, which is no, no slouch of comparison, to say the least. <laughs> you made a comment about how, and I think I heard this correctly, that you don't um, – something about injuries and how you don't dock players for uh, uh, injury history or being hurt uh, quite a bit. Is that true? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, so it, it's it, it's it's been a tough conversation for me with some. So I do not dock one for injury history. I don't have uh, access to the combine medicals. I only am sub, uh, subjected to what you hear, and I don't like to take that just because you you know you can't believe everything you hear. So I do not uh, dock for for uh, for medicals. So next to my report, I will have like a little red tag that basically says there's some injury concerns here. Um, so I don't dock for that. And I also don't dock for any of the off the field stuff, just because again, like, like I think of a guy like Willie Gay Jr. Who's had some stuff rolling around him, the Mississippi state linebacker this year. And from all 
accounts, everything checked out at the combine, but I wasn't in those combine uh, interviews with him with the teams. You know, I, I saw him at the combine. I talked to him briefly. I talked to some other guy, obviously, at the combine. It was a great experience, but I don't have those access to those team meetings. So I do not put those into my evaluations just because I don't feel like I have enough in-depth information to make that call. Okay. Okay. Understandable. Understandable. And I mentioned that I was wondering if I heard that correctly or not, because um, there's a quarterback out of Alabama. We talked a lot of, we talked quite a bit about Jerry Judy. Um, there's Henry Ruggs. You mentioned some of the other ones that are staying at school, uh, Devontae Smith uh, um, and then Waddle as well. But Tua Tungavailoa, everyone's, and even, okay. So I am a person that I am very skeptical of Tua. I am very skeptical on Tua and uh, the injury history that is there. How is he on your on your draft board when comparing him to this year's quarterbacks? And do you think I, I know how you what, how you grade him? But it, do you think that GMs and and coaches should be kind of uneasy about his injury history? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If if I was if I was doing this for a team specifically, not just a a, a scouting um, organization, I would 100% have that into my evaluation. That matters. You know, you're you're, put, you're putting a large investment into a guy like that, especially talking about a top 10 overall pick at the cornerback uh, at the quarterback position. Excuse me. It's very difficult. I, I will say, I don't believe personally from everything I've seen. I don't think that if Tua fails, it'll be because he's not a good quarterback and he's not able to play at the NFL level. It's going to be an injury concern. Now, there's a lot of injuries to go around here, obviously. Um, so it's something you have to be comfortable with. If I had a, a, a doctor, though, if I had a team doctor, if I had all the medicals and it said there's no long-term effects, there's just been a couple freak injuries and there's not really a correlation between long-term effects – I would take the shot because I'll tell you right now, just on, based on a film grade, there's not a big difference between him and Joe Burrow if they're both on the field. I know Joe Burrow just had the best college football season a, a college quarterback has ever had. I understand that. He's a great quarterback in his own right. He's a great talent in his own right. He does a lot of things that are very translatable to the next level, specifically from a mental um, standpoint. But on the film, when you're just grading out different measurables, different talents, um, different um, criteria, I think too is in that class with Joe Burrow. And if he was fully healthy, I think he would have a great argument for that first overall selection. Let's stick with quarterbacks for a little bit. Um, could you, I, mean, I remember? I remember I mentioned this earlier. Um, Jake's no, not, let's not go to Jake from yet. Justin Herbert, another guy that a lot of people have in their first round. What is your general? Um, scouting report on Justin on Justin Herbert, um, and a lot of people having him with the first round grade. And do you give him that same grade yourself? I do, I do. I, I gave him a first round grade, but I would. It is a lower first round grade. He scares me quite quite a bit. <laughs> I, I will be completely honest about it. The talent is obvious. The size, the arm strength, even the accuracy in, in most uh, situations, the ability to change arm speeds, everything is there. The, the problem is I didn't see huge improvements from him over the last couple of years. He's just kind of the same guy. Now, whether that is – it, it, it might be okay if he's the same guy. He's a good football player right now. My question with him is what am I banking on? And then my biggest worry about him is the, the same mistakes that I saw this year in 2019 were the same mistakes I saw in 2018. It doesn't seem to be an incredible improvement with the areas that he struggles. Now – 
I'm fine with the team banking on him in the first rounds with the, you know, the how important the quarterback position is when we talk about positional value. But I will tell you that he worries me. He 100 percent does. There, there are some things about him, and I, I will t- put it all on him because that Oregon offense is awful. It is. I hate those that you know the the RPO concepts with just the quick screens and it, you're you're not, you kind they kind of kept the shackles on him a little bit. So I'm not going to put all the blame on him. And the you know I feel like the leadership stuff has been completely overblown. Again, I, I don't have access to having a conversation with him in those team meetings. So I'm not going to comment on him as a leader. I, I don't have any background on that, but there are things on film that really worry me. Uh, they really do. And he's a guy that you have to be comfortable with as your potential franchise quarterback. And I personally don't know if I am super comfortable, but I had to put a first-round grade on the talent. It's just too apparent with him. Okay, another guy that some are high on, some aren't. Um, some are in the middle because he played for Utah State, a guy in Jordan Love. Just what's your general observations of him? So you're probably not going to find many people that are bigger Jordan Love fans than myself. He's okay, actually my okay. quarterback. He, he's my quarterback three over Justin Herbert. I So his situation is completely different. Junior year showed so much flashes. If he had the same season he had in 2018 and 2019, we this wouldn't even be a conversation in my opinion. I feel like he would be the consensus third overall quarterback behind two and behind Joe Burrow. He would be above Justin Herbert clean. Obviously – they lost everybody. They lost Darwin Thompson, Raquavian Tarver. They lost their tight end. They lost everybody. They lost their head coach to Texas Tech. Completely different situation. All new playmakers. It was not pretty. And the way, and the reason that I can kind of overlook some of the interception concerns and some of the turnover concerns is for a guy like Justin Herbert that we just talked about, some of the mistakes he makes is just him not reading correctly. For Jordan Love, the mistakes are him pressing too much, him trying to do way too much, making those bad under, uh, reads. And uh, we also talked a little bit about being able to kind of dissect their mind, being comfortable with them. I had the opportunity to speak to Jordan Love in a one-on-one interview last year going into his, his redshirt junior season. And I'll tell you, the dude's sharp. He's real sharp. He understands the game. So I am of the utmost belief that obviously it, it's going to really depend on who drafts him, what system he goes into. But if you are a team that can afford him the opportunity to do do what he needs to do to, to really accentuate his skill set, I feel like the ceiling is much higher than Justin Herbert personally, and I am fully sold in the right situation that Jordan Love is going to be successful. Go ahead and say it. You just mentioned it. What situation do you think is right for Jordan Love? So, I mean, I, I'm in love with the New Orleans fit. If the okay, Saints okay. could somehow get up to them or if, you know, maybe Love has a little bit of a, a fall and then they're able to, you know, kind of maneuver a little bit. Him sitting behind a guy like Drew Brees for a year is almost a perfect situation. I also, I mean, it's not going to happen because the, the, the Carolina Panthers are not going to take him with the seventh overall pick. But if he was with a guy like Joe Brady with those similar Saint New Orleans Saints concepts, pro-passing concepts, I would be in love. I feel, I feel like that would be a great situation for him. That one is not likely at all. I feel like New Orleans, maybe New England, not sold on that fit, but the Saints is the one that really pops out to me as being like the perfect situation for him. Okay. 
Georgia Georgia has had a lot of quarterbacks. Um, not going Jacob Eason right now, which, who actually transferred. Um, not even going looking ahead to Justin Fields, who will probably come out after this upcoming football college football season. But Jake Fromm, been there, beat out a couple guys, didn't lose his job. He's, he has a lot of people. When he announced that he was going to come out uh, and go into the draft this year, a lot of people were confused, puzzled, startled, just thinking that he was getting some bad advice from people. I am one of them. I thought that he should stay in school. Don't think he's NFL ready right now. Even if it's like NFL ready to be a backup, it's like you're leaving, not pro ready. You're going to be a backup. And there's a really good shot that, in my opinion, you're not going to get a starting job in year two, year three, or year four just because you're not an NFL quarterback. Jake, from to you, what do you think of him coming to the NFL? I, I feel like the NFL is going to like him more than a lot of media members just because for quarterbacks, it's sometimes being able to see the floor. You know, we talk about some guys like like a Jordan Love we just talked about. You know, you the ceiling is what really is going to sell you, but, like, where's where's the floor? That's, that kind of guy might be out of the NFL in a few years if he doesn't if he doesn't click and it doesn't catch on. For Jake Fromm, there's a relatively high floor. You know, he at worst he's a very solid backup quarterback. Could he be a stopgap? Could he be an Andy Dalton type? Yeah, it's possible. I'm not a huge fan of him. I, I put a uh, I think late third, early fourth round grade on him. I don't have my board in front of me. I'm I'm not sold on him. I'm definitely not. I, I feel like the 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 floor is a lot more. Um, a lot more reasonable for me to project than the ceiling for him. I think low end starter is probably the ceiling and, and floor is, you know, a good backup quarterback. So I heard people talking about him getting picked somewhere early second rounds. If that's the case, you're going to be very disappointed, but I feel like I agree with you. I, I, I don't think that he Well, let's go about two ways. I I don't think he would have went back to Georgia and improved his draft stock in a crazy amount. I feel like what he, it's just kind of what he is. But also, if that is what you are and you're just a long-term backup, the NFL's not going anywhere next year. It's not like you're <laughs> killing your draft stock. I feel like that guy, you're a, you're going to be a four-year starting quarterback at the University of Georgia. You are a, the king on campus. You know what I mean? Like, just go finish your degree. Be the king on campus for another year, and then the NFL will still be there to be your, you know, whatever you end up being. But I'm not so I'm not incredibly sold on him. I don't have a high evaluation on him. I just I just feel like some NFL teams are going to value him more because again, there's a safe there's a safe element to him and there's a, a floor that you can see. Yeah, uh, let's go with another another guy, Jacob Eason, um, transferred, and it happens when people go to the West Coast, and no matter if it's, no matter if it's uh, a, a school in Oregon, school in uh, the Washington State, a school in Arizona, for some reason. Even some even, people, if you go to the West Coast, unless they're USC, people talk about USC not as much as they used to because they're not in their, in their winning ways. But a lot of people, you go to that West Coast, going away from the SEC or the Big Ten or um, even ACC, people forget about you. And Jacob Beeson, and a lot of people, he's just he continued to rise and go up their board throughout the season. Um, was that the same way with you, with Jacob Beeson, and um, your projections? No, I, I've never been in on the Jacob Eason hype. I, I'll tell you, I do have him at quarterback five just because the, the tools are there. But I have a – there is a huge drop-off from quarterback four to quarterback five, to say the least. I have, a, a I think, a mid-third round grade on Jacob Eason. Again, the tools are there. Like, you could see it. it. It's not easy. It's not hard to see. It's just ability not to win outside of structure. That pocket awareness is not great. He's a slow processor going through his reads. Like, there's a lot that needs to be hammered out. I will say, 
if he gets it with a quarterback coach that can really iron out some of those, at least the processing issues, I think that he could be a starting quarterback potentially, but he's definitely a guy that I would not bank on early. And again, I feel like he might be a guy similar to what we're talking about from on the a complete opposite spectrum, a guy with so much upside that the NFL might ultimately value him a lot more than we might. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then um, last quarterback I want to mention right now, um, Jalen Hurts transferred from Alabama, went to Oklahoma and, He's a guy that in college, good, very good. And I believe he was a Heisman Trophy finalist as well. NFL, some, a, lot, a lot of people are big on him just off of his accolades in college. Some pro guys, they're not high on him at all. Are you high, low, in between on Jalen Hurts? Uh, I, I'll say I'm low. Uh, he's a quarterback eight on my board. I think that there's situations we talked about new orleans a little bit ago if there's a team like a new orleans that can again accentuate his strengths could play to it i feel like there's developmental potential to maybe be a starting quarterback down the road i i just i don't i don't see it there i just don't think he's his ta- his arm is talented enough i feel like you're putting a cap on how talented your offense could be the the accuracy's hit or miss and he's been a guy that you know he's never been a guy that's going to go through multiple reads he's been a one to two read guy and tuck it and run which in college, it works. That works 100% of the time. Uh, well, maybe not 100%, but it works a, a majority of the time. In the NFL, that's, it's not going to cut it. And, uh, you know, again, people want to try to compare him to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has so much more arm talent than Jalen Hurts. Like, it's not even a conversation. It's not. But, you know, I think that there are a couple spots that Jalen Hurts can um, fit into and they can be successful in. I just don't think that there's that many of them, which is why I'm a lot lower on him than most. Who do you th- who do you think you said the Saints would be a good fit for or possibly a good fit for um, Jalen Hurts? Yeah, I think the Saints, the Tennessee Titans, pop up as another one too. That power run game, they can do some stuff out of play action. I, I feel like those couple spots would be nice. Nice. Um, People like to try to bring up New England. I don't think New England's a good fit for them. I, I really don't. I, that that West Coast timing system that that it really is is about you know timing routes, adjust, uh, adjustments to zone different zone coverages, hitting spots. Like I don't think that's him. I, so if I had to say a couple, New Orleans again would be a good spot. I think with Sean Payton and then Tennessee. I think in that power run game with the ability to do stuff and play action, do different things. Maybe a little bit in the quarterback run game might be a good spot for him too. Gotcha. I know I mentioned, I know I said last quarterback, but I, I didn't mention the Heisman trophy winner. I don't know how I skipped over that one at all. Joe Burrow in a lot of people with Joe Burrow, they're like, Oh, he lost his spot at Ohio state. He wasn't that good. Then all of a sudden, bam, he's, he's amazing. But people forget about that one year in between him transferring, go being on the team at Ohio state, to what we just witnessed last year over the last over the 15 games he played, Joe Burrow's a guy to me that he needs the system to fit him. Now he can't go into a situation and kind of adapt and kind of um, learn on the fly and, and just learn different skills that he didn't have. To me, he's more of a guy that the system has to fit him. And ultimately, last year, Joe Brady coming in, the receivers that he had, the Thaddeus Moss, it seemed like he was the uh, the right formula at the right time to lead the team to the promised land. Joe Burrow to you, what do you think of him? So, I mean, I mean, yes, you, you cannot undersell how, how it was the perfect storm this year. The, those receivers, Jamar Chase, Marshall, Justin Jefferson, 
Thad Moss, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, like it was the perfect storm. The offensive line played very well. And of course, Joe Brady did wonders for him. You cannot undersell that. I cut him a little more slack than 2018 than most people did. If you really go back and watch the tape, it, it's not, you know, what it is this year, obviously. But there are some flashes of great things there. There really is. Um, I will say that I am cutting him a little bit of slack just because. He was a grad transfer that came in there. That was his first year in a, in a not great system and, and not a great situation, to be honest, offensively. So I think that I am a little higher on Burrow in that sense of, I think that it's, he's not going to just need to be in the perfect system. I feel like there are traits to work with here and whether, you know, you say like, Oh, if he didn't have those guys, well, he did have those guys. And now his IQ is through the roof. That that's the part of his game from a pre-processing read to able to turn that into post snap success was incredible this year. So he has that. Now he has the terminology in the back of his mind. He has all that stuff to use as a base to build upon. So I feel like he is, you know, just from a mental standpoint, so advanced now that I think that he can transcend some bad situations, but fortunately for him, you know, Cincinnati has not traditionally been a great place to be, but, you know, he's going to go into an offense that's going to have hopefully a, ho- a healthy A.J. Green. He's going to have Tyler Boyd. and He's going to have um, the run- uh, the running back Joe Mixon uh, to work with, which is not a bad little uh, supporting cast. So I, I feel like Joe Burrow is going to be okay. He's going to have Jonah Williams back as well. So I, I feel like he's going to be all right. I liked, I mean, his tape this year was absolutely phenomenal. And I feel like working with Joe Brady for the year is going to do wonders for him. I agree with that. There was a couple guys that I was looking at with this draft. Um, just a few that I think aren't really getting talked about um, or may not be, they may be getting talked about just in different circles, not the ones that um, I have I've been listening to quite a bit and things like that. Um, JJ Taylor, Michael Pittman Jr., Antoine Winfield, and then Damon Arnett. Not the same position, different size of the ball. Let's go one after another. Um, I'll, I'll kind of, after you finish, I'll remind you which one's coming next. But J.J. Taylor uh, from Arizona, what have you um, noticed of him and what, what do you think would be a good fit for him? So, I mean, he, so his, his uh, highest ceiling, if we want to call it a ceiling, is he's going to be a really nice third down back in the right situation. He's a small kid. He's right around 5'5", 180-something pounds. But he is a guy that is a space player. He can do some nice things, whether it is in zone concepts, whether it is out of the backfield as a receiver, two different types of things. I feel like his versatility is really nice. You could sell me on him being a guy that fits into just about any team as a third down specialist. So I don't even have really an amazing fit for him. I I feel like if he's in that role, he can do a lot of nice things. I don't think that he's ever going to be more than a situational type of player. But, you know, in the NFL now with how the passing league has really, you know, taken new heights and and taken the game to a completely different level, I I feel like J.J. Taylor is a perfect player in in this uh, manufacturing space game of the NFL today. Recently, I was listening to um, a radio show here at Indy, Indianapolis, and the host was talking about uh, T. Higgins or Michael Pittman Jr. And that was a question he had posed on Twitter and to some of his callers that were calling into the show. And after taking a few calls and, listening and reading off some tweets there on, there on air, he said, hey, man, if the Colts can get Michael Pittman Jr., I mean, I, I won't be upset. I, I, won't, I won't, be, won't be mad at Chris Ballard for drafting a guy that is a guy that I think is well – is uh, it will fit us very, very well. A team that 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 needs a lot of help at the wide wide receiver position. Um, Michael Pittman Jr. Um, where do you think he would be a good fit, and what are some observations of him? 
So I, I felt I felt like somewhere in the third ish rounds uh, is kind of like my sweet spot. That's what I put a ground round grade on him. I think he's a really really solid football player. That's a part of a historically deep wide receiver group that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier. I, I I like him a lot. Now when it goes in regards to T Higgins, I, I'm I'm a little colder on T Higgins than most. I do have T slightly higher than Michael Pittman Jr., but I, I definitely get the selling points of Michael Pittman. I mean, he's a physical wide receiver, does some great things at the catch point, and then he tested better than I thought he was going to. So where I I ultimately think he like lands somewhere in the second round, maybe I mean I'm here late first from some folks, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say safe. He'll be somewhere in the second round. Very solid football player who's gonna be a dependable, you know, boundary wide receiver for a while now. Antoine Winfield Jr., Minnesota Golden Gophers had a season that, well, was special, very special. Mr. Row the Boat went up there to Minnesota and, well, shocked everybody and started winning. And Minnesota fans had a lot of uh, a lot of things to cheer about with Antoine Winfield Jr. And I was watching, I forget the game that they played. I want to say it was Penn State. And I watched, and I hadn't really watched Minnesota a lot this season. But going back and looking at some things over the over the season and how he was uh, in the back half of the uh, back there in the secondary, I'm like, wow, he 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 jumps off the he jumps out of the screen off the page. Um, we're looking at his not so much his numbers, but just he jumps off the screen, laptop screen, TV doesn't matter if he's playing, he's on the field, he jumps out at you and says, wow, this guy, he's one, he's the best guy on the field, and everybody knows about it. Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, what are some things you enjoy watching and thinking about when you look at him? So, I mean, let's start with his dad. His dad was one of my favorite football players growing up. Antoine Winfield Sr. got after it. He was a physical, physical corner. I loved watching him play football. And his son emulates him to a degree. He started his Minnesota career at quarterback position. Obviously, he settled into safety this year. And he has incredible instincts. He, for a class, now the safety class is really nice this year, in my opinion. I like it a lot. But there's not a ton of true free safety types that can do some single high stuff, do a lot of deep zone versatility stuff. I feel like he fits that mold. He can do a bunch of different things, and then he could potentially even do some man-to-man responsibilities and slot receivers. You can be very versatile with Antoine Field Jr., and he's not afraid to throw his body around. He's a physical player. My only concern is, again, I don't dock this on film, so he has a very high grade for me, but... He's a fourth year soft. He was a fourth year sophomore coming out, and I am a little worried just because he's pretty well put together up top. But then I saw him in Indianapolis, and he's had a couple lower body injuries, and he has a very thin lower body. So I'm a little worried about that injury um, concern. Keep keep uh, kind of being on tap for him, kind of being a concern, continuing to go forward. But if we're getting a healthy version of Antoine Winfield Jr. He is an excellent football player who gives you a lot of versatility in the secondary. Another guy, a guy at Ohio State. He's we. Everybody talks about Jeff Okuda on one side, cornerback, the, uh, a guy that it's a it's a can't miss talent. Some say a guy that if you get him, you know exactly what you're getting. But then there's Damon Arnett. Doesn't get talked about as much. And honestly, he's kind of like. And I, I heard I was on Twitter scrolling one day, and and Jeff Okuda was talking about saying, hey. People don't forget about Damon Arnett. Don't forget about this guy. Yeah, I, I'm getting a lot of talk right now, and deservedly so. I had a, I had a good season, but don't forget about Damon Arnett. Where do you think he fits in the NFL, and who would be a great fit for him? He's uh, he, Arnett's very solid. I, I don't think there's an incredible ceiling for him, but I think the floor is relatively high. He's physical. He 
So the concerns that I had on film of him did show up at the combine, though. He did not test as a great athlete. I didn't think he was a great athlete. I think he's a physical football player who has good instincts, is is well-versed in press coverage. He does a great job at the line of scrimmage. There's a lot to like. I don't think the ceiling's incredibly high. But for a team that is going to ask a guy to play a lot of press man coverage, I feel like he's going to be a nice fit into that system. I grade him out as, as an early third round pick, which, you know, for some might be like, oh, only early third round. Like, that, that's a good grade, man. <laughs> like, he's a good football player. He's a good, solid football player. I, I just don't see incredible upside. But, you know, again, for a press man team, you're getting a, a pretty good floor. I agree. I agree with that as well. Um, very quickly, I have not talked, we have not talked about the interior of the offense, the O line or the D line. I believe I recently listened to the podcast you're on with Alex and Joe, and I believe you made a comment saying, you know, maybe you said maybe there, I don't know if this was you or you heard this from somebody, but you said there'd be seven offensive linemen drafted in the, in the first round. Not sure if that was your statement or somebody else's, but how well-rounded or how high or how good are these offensive linemen coming into that are going to be prospects and getting drafted this, this upcoming week? So the, the interior part of the offensive line is not great. I, I like Cesar Ruiz from Michigan coming in the first round. I'm a big fan of Natani Mutai, who's a, a, a offensive lineman, a guard coming out of Fresno State. He's not going to get drafted very high, though, because he's had a ton of injuries in the past. But I'm a big fan of him on film. The offensive tackle class, though, is one of those classes we kind of talked about to begin the show. It is incredibly deep. We, we, everyone talks about the big four with Wills, Werfs, Becton, Thomas. It's exceptional. After that, there's a bunch of really nice developmental guys. You know, we talk about uh, the Josh Joneses of the world, the Prince Tegawanagos, the Austin Jacksons, the Matt Perts. There's a lot of guys to really get excited about. Ezra Cleveland, Lucas Nang's a really, really solid right tackle prospect. So I only have four guys uh, graded as a first-round talent. But there's a plethora of day two guys, second and third round prospects. So, yeah, that, that was my take, too, by the way. I kind of skipped <laughs> over that. But, yeah, I, I think seven offensive tackles off the board in the first round. And overall, it's it's a really nice class, a really exceptional class. Quickly, put these two together. Um, I, I, went, I went longer than expected, but this is all good stuff. Um, the D-line and linebackers, just quickly, or just take a few time, couple of these together. Um, a few guys from – if you want to talk about edge rushers, the interior D lineman and linebacker separately. I don't care. Just talk about a couple guys from there that you think will be um, standouts in this draft class. Yeah, we'll, we'll go through it real quick. So obviously Chase Young's an easy one. Everyone knows about that. He, he's uh, probably he's the best player in this draft in my opinion. He should be the second overall pick to Washington Redskins. He's got everything that you want to look at. I've heard some comparisons to Julius Peppers, and while he is not quite the size of Julius Peppers. I get the comp. It, it makes sense. Um, Caleb on Chase Son's kind of the, been being slated as the next guy. Um, I still have AJ Epineza above him just because I'm a believer in AJ Epineza's film. I, I think there's a lot of versatility to use him from. Those couple guys though have a lot ton of talent. That that is a huge drop off though. It's kind of the edge group. The uh, the drop off from Chase Young to the next guy is substantial. So mid first round, late first round guys uh, in Chase Son and Epineza, in my opinion. And then real quick to the interior D-line, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw are kind of the headliners for most. I actually have Justin Matabike from uh, Texas A&M as the second-ranked interior guy. I'm, I, you cannot find a bigger fan of him than myself. He is an exceptional football player that I think the ceiling is absolutely – I can't even kind of describe what how I, I think his ceiling is. Ross Blacklock's another nice one from TCU. 
And then real quick, the linebackers. It's not a great linebacker class. I have Isaiah Simmons rated as a linebacker. Some have him as a safety, which is crazy for a 238-pound athlete. <laughs> but, you know, Isaiah Simmons and then another really steep drop-off. I actually have Willie Gay Jr. from Mississippi State as my second-rated linebacker. I love his film. Uh, but, again, that drop-off is huge. And then we talk about a guy like Patrick Queen out of LSU, Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma are kind of the round out the top of that group. So it's not a it, it's not a tremendous linebacker class at the top, but there is a little bit of depth. I'm not going to say it's a great class, but it's okay. And obviously Isaiah Simmons makes it look a whole lot better. So you, you're not saying there's any chance that somebody drafts him and says, hey, Isaiah Simmons is going to be a safety. Are you saying that's not going to happen at all? No, no, de- <laughs> definitely, not, de- definitely not saying that. Um, I think he can play safety. I, I get, So it, it's weird. I, I said he played a linebacker, but real quick, I, I, I did a – a uh, compa- that comparison article I was telling you about earlier, I actually compared him to Adrian Wilson that used to play with the Cardinals, who was a six foot three, two hundred thirty plus pounds safety who did a lot of stuff in short zones, man to man coverage, and he they blitzed him all the time. They played him as almost like a dime backer. I imagine Isaiah Simmons gets used in a similar fashion. I just think like if an Adrian Wilson played today, he played more of a kind of a weak side linebacker role. And I, I feel like Isaiah Simmons, that might be where he is at his best, kind of, you know, navigating space, being able to blitz, do different things. But so, no, I, I would not be I would not be surprised at all if he ends up playing safety. But for that argument's sake, I feel like his best attributes will be him playing more closer to the line of scrimmage. Let's talk big, big board talk here quickly, um, just very quick before we wrap this thing up. Top five on your board. Um well, just go right in order. One, two, three, four, five. Who do you have in order as your top five prospects um, in this draft? Yeah, so I have uh, Chase Young at number one. Uh, we talked about him already. I have Joe Burrow at number two. Jeff Akuda at number three. Isaiah Simmons at four. And then I have Jerry Judy rounding up the top five at the number five spot. Okay. What separates – and I, I, know, I know you talk about separation. I did the same thing with uh, Tua and Joe Burrow. But there will be a lot of people – that are listening to this that think you're crazy for having Chase Young at one and Joe Burrow at two. Explain your um, your positioning uh, with that. I mean, I mean, so it's just it's just based upon film. If we want to go back and look at Chase Young, I mean, we don't we don't scout the box score, but 16 and a half sacks, missing two games, like it's it's a no brainer for me. Six five, two seventy, athlete can play all over the line of scrimmage if you wanted him to. He's got enough bend. He's strong. He's fast. That's a no-brainer for me. And then Joe Burrow, like, if again, you know, if we want to dissect the 2018 film, maybe it knocks him down a little bit. But, like, that 2019 film was so good. Like, it was just so good. I mean, everything about it from a pre-snap to a post-snap perspective, accuracy-wise, being able to extend, navigating the pocket. I didn't even mention his pocket awareness earlier, which is probably the best I've ever scouted so far in these few years. And I feel like – there's just a separation there, and I, I feel like you know it, it, that is even taken into account the positional value because I don't factor that in either. He's it's a raw grade, and I just feel like this this tape last year, Joe Burrow's film was absolutely sensational. I, I, I feel like those guys are the two, the two leaderboard, and they're all, I think they should go off the board in the top two picks and to kind of solidify that fact. To wrap things up, I like to do something a little bit fun. Give me like a uh, kind of rapid fire style. Um, give me your first thought. Um, when you hear what comes uh, out of my mouth into your headphones, some of these are going to be these are not now these are not going to be all these some are sports related, some are just life, some are basketball. I'm a big basketball guy, 
So not all of these will be like your prospect and, and uh, your scouting um, stuff. This is something, a fun way to wrap this thing up. After we get through with this, I'll give you time to promote, to promote yourself, NFL Draft Bible and everything like that. Um, thought or question number one, who is the better pro prospect, Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence? Trevor Lawrence, uh, by pretty substantially to me, he uh, he's excellent. I just watched a couple games of him yesterday. He's he's everything people say he is, um, and people are trying to poke holes in him a little uh, already throughout this process. But Trevor Lawrence, uh, pretty substantially for me. Favorite NBA player? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, favorite NBA? I mean, I'm a I'm a Sixers fan, so I guess I'll go with Embiid, even though he's a headache. Um, I, I do enjoy watching Embiid when he's you know healthy and, and actually playing himself. So, what about favorite NBA player of all time? Of all time, I was a huge Reggie Miller fan when I was younger. I, I was a I was a sucker for those shooters, man. And he, uh, you know, he used to have that three pointer with the, kicking his leg out, getting the four point plays and stuff. He was he was a uh, he was a ton of fun to watch. Yes, he was. A game you'll watch. A game you watched. You'll never forget. Oh, a game I watched. I'll never forget. Uh, probably oh, two come to mind. One, I I'm a Rams fan. I've been a Rams fan for a long time. The uh, the Super Bowl with them against the Titans in the two ninety nine two thousand season, where Mike Jones tackled Kevin Dyson at the one yard line, was crazy. And then uh, you know the Rose Bowl between te- uh, the the uh, Texas Longhorns and USC, where Vince Young took it in on the in the last couple seconds, was pretty crazy. Keith Jackson's last game that he called, I was that was on TV recently, and I was I, I rewatched par- uh, portions of that. Um, that night as well. Favorite vacation spot? Love Yellowstone National Park. We've we've been there before, me and my wife. It's a, it's an awesome time. It's uh really crazy just being able to be around some of these crazy uh, some of these animals. I mean, you pull around the corner and there's a bison right next to your car. It's pretty crazy. Yellowstone is a, is a lot of fun. I would I would recommend it for everyone. A place you want to go but have never been. Italy, Italy. That's an easy one. My mom is full Italian. Um, she is, you know, she's the gravy versus sauce person. You know what I mean? So I would 100% like to go to Italy at some point. Three sleeper picks or three sleep, sleeper players in this draft. Sleeper players. Okay. Uh, off the top of my head, I, I've been talking this guy up for a little bit. He's going to be a later round pick, I believe. Luke Jeriga. He plays center for Western Michigan. He's a zone-style center, really nice athlete. His father, Jim Jariga, played for the Denver Broncos in uh, the 90s with John Elway. Uh, won a couple Super Bowls with them. That's one. I would say a second one I really like is Devin Asiasi, the tight end out of UCLA. In a really underwhelming tight end class, he is very fun, uh, very flexible for a tight end his size, does some stuff, nice stuff in the blocking game. I like him a ton. And then a guy that I think is getting a little undersold, might might still be in a third-round pick or so, but I love Zach Moss from Utah. I would love the Rams to pick up him to, to kind of combine with him and Daryl Henderson. He's When you want to talk about vision and physicality, Zach Moss is a bowling ball. He's a freight train running through. So Moss, ICSC, and then I'll throw Luke Jariga out there too. A game you would love to attend from any sport? Ooh, oh, man, that's a good one. I- See, I, I'm I'm more, I'm more of a college football fan than NFL. So, uh, I mean, I, I still watch NFL every Sunday, but I, I, I definitely college football is kind of like my first love. So I would love to just go to a national championship game next year, uh, one year. I think it would be, a, a, a you know, if it's next year, whatever it is, <laughs> I, I would, love, would love to just kind of f- feel that atmosphere. It's not, it it um, just seems like one of those things that you really don't know until you're just kind of there firsthand, all, you know, the crazy crowds and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to add an extra one, kind of piggyback another leg off of this one. You mentioned college, uh, college football. Um, uh, what, what the thought just left me? 
Um, who, what was the most fun national championship you've watched? Probably the USC Texas game. That that was that was a whole lot of fun. Um, trying to think if there's another one that really pops out. I mean, the the two a game a couple years ago where he came in against Georgia and had, had the overtime toss was pretty fun too. But I'd say that USC Texas game probably off the top of my head was probably the best one I've seen. Who would win in a game of one on one, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Oh, we're, we're getting personal here. All right, uh, LeBron James. LeBron. <laughs> I'm, go, I'm going with LeBron. I'm you do realize LeBron. we're recording this on the same day that this, this 97-98 Bulls documentary comes out. Yes, yes. Uh, and, I mean, Jordan is phenomenal. Uh, if it's one-on-one, I'll just go with LeBron, a little more physical, a little bigger body. I'll take him slightly. Last but not least, he's no longer with us, but uh, for, but we still get to live in his memories and re- watch on YouTube and watch as TV's going to keep replaying his games, all these networks will. Kobe Bryant, what's some uh, a game or a play or some, a, a memory you have of Kobe Bryant from his playing days? Yeah, so, I mean, he, he, was, a, he was a Pennsylvania guy. He grew up in Coatesville, so pretty close nearby. Um, the, the, I mean, the moment I feel like that a lot of people remember, I mean, I, the, eight, the 81 points in the one game was pretty crazy. But when he stepped over, um, I mean, when he didn't step over, when he uh, uh, crossed up, uh, wait, no, that wasn't him. Forget it. I, I would go with the 81-point game that I just forgot with the last one. Either that one or what he scored his last game. Was it like 62 points or something like that? 60 points. Like, absolutely ridiculous. So, he was uh, – it was always a fun time, though. I actually went to a game before when he came back to Philly, and, you know, he's uh, – he, it was it was something to see for for sure because it was kind of like one of those things where like Philly, you know Sixers fans were pretending to hate him but like you know he knew he was still one of his own kind of thing. Sixty points the last game and were you thinking about the time that Iverson crossed up Tyron Lue? Yes, yeah, yeah, because it, it was a <laughs> it was a Laker thing and you know I, I remember one of my first basketball memories was when Iverson you know took took them to the finals and then they got smashed by the Lakers after winning the first game. So <laughs> had a feeling that was that was the case. Take some time yes. now promote. Um, yourself, some things you're doing with NFL Draft Bible, how people can connect with you, and then also how people can connect with NFL Draft Bible and where they can see some of your work. Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, I'm very active. Rise and Draft, the letter N Draft. On Twitter, uh, all my content's on there. Like you said, NFL Draft Bible is the main source where you can find mo- most of my work. We just put out our draft Bible for the year, which has over 600 prospect scouting reports, has over 180 interviews. It's a great product. Only a couple days away, but you can still get the uh, the PDF version. You can still, uh, I think, get a couple print versions are still available. But NFL Draft Bible, NFLDraftBible.com is definitely the place to check everything out. It's, uh, you know, they've been at it since 2002. I've been with them for uh, – you know, a few months now, and it's it's a great publication, a great source of content, of information, and uh, I would definitely recommend checking it out if you haven't already. Definitely, definitely. Ryan Roberts, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Um, during this odd time in our lives, we can still talk some football, things that are coming up with this upcoming draft. I thank Roger Goodell for not postponing it because it allows us to have uh, the scheduled time that normalcy in our lives that we're looking forward to. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me here on the Jay Stevens Podcast. Absolutely, Jay. Appreciate you having me on, man. We'll definitely have to do it again once the draft concludes. Wow. Just wow. I had heard Ryan Roberts before. Uh, he's on a podcast that's well, Draft Brawl, where him, Alex, and Alex Gilstrap, and then 
Joe DeLeon. I believe I, I believe I got Joe's last name correctly. Uh, they go they go on they get you ready for the draft and they dump knowledge on you. More knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge. And they all they have big boards and they have scouting reports and all the stuff you see. Mel Cop, Mel Kiper and Todd McShay and Daniel Jeremiah. All these things. Joe Clatt. All the guys that you see on the networks. These guys at NFL Draft Bible are doing it. I've been doing it for a very long time at a very high level. And Ryan Roberts, thank you. We'll definitely do some more work with him in the fall. As I am anticipating and believing there will be a college football season, an NFL season in the fall. Yes, I have been optimistic throughout the entire time, throughout this entire abnormal sequence in our country's history, in our world's history, to be exact. I have been optimistic, my friends. Some some don't understand it. Some agree with me. Some don't. But I try to be optimistic, try to bring some type of hope. I know I don't really do it here on the podcast. I want this to be kind of an escape. From everything that's on the mainstream media, you turn on ESPN, uh, a lot of times SportsCenter, it's all they talk about. CNN, MSNBC, all these networks, it's all you hear. So I try to make this be an escape, a way for you to forget about all that stuff and to talk about the thing that we love, that we wish was happening every single day, live sports. People not Clay Travis for being optimistic. Why? People at this time, they want something to grasp onto. They want to be, they want to see some sign of hope. And to believe that the end is near. I'm not saying the end is near. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the governors are going to do. I don't know when they're going to reopen their states and things like that. Or if the mayor has issued in that particular city has issued a stay-at-home order separate from the governors. I don't know what's going to happen. But one thing I do know and I do believe and I have believed for a while, we will have football in the fall. Yes, I say it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I believe we will have football in the fall. And I'm anticipating more work with Mr. Ryan Roberts, scouting coordinator for NFL Draft Bible. Thank you for listening to another episode of the J. Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. If you don't have Twitter, you'd like to connect with the podcast, send your emails to jstevenspod at gmo.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that are searching for new podcasts to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode number one, be sure to let people know about the podcast. This has been episode 86 of the Jason's Podcast. I'll see you next time. Peace.